Hello and welcome back to the Hutchins podcast. Today we are talking about the Hutchins Careers Expo, a remarkable event dedicated to helping our students explore exciting career opportunities and make informed decisions about their future pathways. Today we have the privilege to speak with Mr. Paul Bonnicher, the esteemed organiser of this exceptional expo and a champion of career education and vocational learning. The Hutchins Careers Expo, hosted on the 31st of May from 5.30pm to 8.30pm, brought together more than 35 institutions and universities, offering a plethora of resources, guidance and insight into various career paths. This event served as a valuable platform for our students to engage directly with representatives from these institutions, learn about diverse industries and discover their passion and potential. Today, we have the privilege of diving deeper into the Hutchins Careers Expo with Mr. Bonnicher, whose expertise and dedication have played a pivotal role in organising this successful event. As the Careers Education and Vocational Learning Officer, Mr. Bonnicher has been instrumental in providing students with essential guidance and support throughout their career exploration journey. Mr. Bonnicher's wealth of knowledge and experience in the field of career education promises to provide valuable insights and guidance to our listeners. Without further ado, let's begin this enriching discussion with Mr. Paul Bonnicher, shedding light on the Hutchins Careers Expo and offering invaluable advice to students seeking to make informed choices about their future career paths. We are now joined with Mr. Bonnicher and can you share your overall impression of the Hutchins Career Expo that was held on uh, Wednesday the 31st of May? I can. It was, um, for me, a successful night in a lot of uh, respects. We had a good range of um, presentations from uh, interstate university providers and then we had a university presence from UTAS. We also had um, some apprenticeship pathway providers mm. uh, in, the, in the construction area, namely Fairbrother. We had Taz Bigas, who the Hutchins School has a partnership with around a construction pathway course. And we had um, a variety of other industries um, there. So from my reflections, we had a good mixture of industries mm. and further education providers, um, though... I'm reluctant to be too strong in that. I'm welcome to feedback on yeah. because there's always other providers or other pathways that people might have liked to have seen. So look, really open to people reaching out and saying, hey, what about this? Yep. How important is an event like this for students to come along and participate in? Really, it's probably a question for the students. <laughs> um, I, again, I'm, I'm, I think it's a nice light touch approach. And mm. one of the things I suppose, um, going back to the original question that I thought worked well is it wasn't overly crowded and there mm. was the opportunity to talk to people. Yeah, yeah. The, the risk is that you walk into a room and you look around and there are lots of people having conversations and you can't get involved. And there's a degree that it has a um, a degree of repetition for the exhibitor, which sometimes might not feel that it's overly efficient having the same conversation over and over again. Yeah, yeah. But I, I guess I really think that having that one-on-one conversation is really, really valuable over the stand up and let's sell what wherever we're doing. Come to and do stuff with us. <laughs> Correct. I, I, I totally agree, Archie. The, the idea that you can start to build connections and have meaningful conversations as mm. individuals I think is really good we we put a lot of talking heads in front of students and I think that unfortunately um, can lose its impact when a room 
um, has a degree of sometimes disengagement from certain sections of the student cohort mm. and that unfortunately impacts the experience for all. Mm. I personally found, uh, speaking to some UTAS people, that was really beneficial, you know, the one-on-one -on -one conversations. What did you think when it came to the seminars with the interstate universities? How, how was that? Look, the I suppose COVID um, really facilitated a wider acceptance that you can connect to people online. Yeah. Uh, in person um, is always, I think, preferred because it does yeah. allow for a follow-up. Um, the online environment is not conducive to asking questions and sort of interacting in a more meaningful way. Mm -hmm. The I, I hope that the takeout for people was that it was an overview with the idea that there are opportunities to connect um, through other um, events through me per, um, me personally and I can connect to those uh, recruitment personnel. Universities are uh, businesses and they employ people that are there to um, provide information, advice um, and guidance around their courses. So um, by all means, when like just like going shopping for anything, when you're talking to the person that's there to provide that information, you should you know should should shouldn't feel bad about asking questions. <laughs> and um, so, what's what's some sort of advice that you can give to students who aren't really sure about what pathway they're going to take and what direction they're going to pursue? Uncertainty, I don't think, is a unhealthy thing. I think it's um, it shows that you're questioning and and it's often difficult. It's a diff it's a difficult question to answer um, and often a student will think that they need to pick a winner mm. and it's a lifelong decision. Uh, reality is it's unlikely to be a lifelong decision that you will look to move and change careers as you go forward. The, the foundational piece is always around a person developing the, the skills around self-discipline, around being able to communicate with others, being able to think and reflect on what and how they're going about um, what they're doing. And though all those things can be evidenced through the, a school program. Um, mm -hmm. So to me, not knowing and having uncertainty is actually um, probably in a lot of ways the reality of a lot of life. Um, it's not often that we've always got black and white, so we're always got a degree of grey, but it's how you respond to that. Some people make the assessment that, well, I don't know, so nothing, none of these things are important to me. Mm -hmm. But others find that in the now and within the subjects that they've got in front of them, they find that there's um, worthwhile engagement and learning. And you start to see that those people um, have skills that you can, um, and universities, for example, like the Tasmanian University with a school recommendation program, they've moved away from an ATAR and they're asking us to comment on a person's critical thinking. They're asking us to comment on a person's ability to manage a study program. Um, they're asking us to comment on their ability to collaborate with others because they've, they're identifying and, and employers have identified that those are the skills that allow for success within a modern workplace. Yeah. Now, that's interesting what you touched on there and we're sort of, I think, in this conversation at least we're maybe guiding towards universities and picking the right university. It's a, it's a daunting task for myself and plenty of other people out there. What should we do when it comes to maybe assessing which university kind of aligns with our career goals and sort of personal attributes, things like that? So I, I should probably qualify mm -hmm. um, what I've just said that 
I might have couched it in the area of a university, but speak to any employer, any tradesperson looking to employ a young person as an apprentice, mm. and they will hire on attitude. So yeah. you, you hear in, in the HR world, they talk about KSAs, uh, knowledge, skills, and attitudes. And it's the attitude that um, more often than not, um, an employer will employ on, particularly at an entry-level position. They mm. don't expect uh, young people to have all the knowledge and skills, but they they can't train somebody if the attitude is not um, of a of a, a growth mindset, is not open to being challenged, is not open to mm. working with others. So those those things are really important in the university sector. You are seeing also that they are increasingly offering programs and marketing themselves as such to offer programs that develop those uh, transferable or soft employability skills. Um, when picking a university, I think it's important to look for universities that are doing that. Um, I think it's important to consider the place where you're going to study, particularly if you're looking at interstate options, um, moving away from support networks um, at a young age into a complex learning environment um, is not easy. Um, the financial considerations are obviously significant. Um, we're all hearing a lot about cost of living pressures and so on. So making sure that you're going to a place that you feel supported, that's got things going on there other than the academic program, whilst the academic program is important, having access to uh, a friends or family network um, is, would be significant a significant consideration. Um, and so what are some specific resources that are really valuable to help, stu- help students research different options and different pathways? Um, I'd like to say that I'm, I'm certainly yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly yeah. There as, Hoping as, you're up here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, but I, I'm a, I'm, I describe myself as a generalist. Mm. Um, I've got a breadth of knowledge, but not necessarily the depth of knowledge in all areas. So with 44 universities, each of them offering a huge array of courses, mm. all of them with different um, entry requirements and so on and so forth, um, connecting to me initially about maybe what some of where some of those key places might be, and then starting to connect and and have a look at their information. Um, lots of information, as we know now, is readily accessible through through websites, um, and the university certainly vast majority of them have very good websites that give you the key information. So starting to look at those things. And then really, I think, shortlisting and then considering things like accommodation and starting to think about when do they have an open day and actually starting to build a connection to that university Mm. to say that, yes, and go along and physically be in that space and say, no, Mm. this this feels right. That sort of leads on to my next question. How, how important is it when it comes to networking? Tasmania, quite a small place, but interstate as well. How important is that networking process? Look, connecting to, to the university um, providers is really important. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if I... Networking, yes. I think it's the, the, there is a transactional process, and I suppose I alluded to that before, yeah, saying yeah. a university is a business. The, the net, I'd probably say be prepared to be slightly transactional about it. You need to make sure you're going to get out of 
the experience what you want. So there is you you have the right to to kick tires for you know and and check suspension and make sure that everything about what you're doing is is fitting with what you want. So be uh, do your uh, due diligence in the questioning process. Um, the networking process for universities probably comes once you're there and then they provide social interactions that you go along to. Universities, I think, were traditionally seen as a, a huge melting pot of people from all walks of life. That, I think, has evolved and they are becoming more vocational in their expectations, meaning that you don't just go to university to, to be in a big social melting pot and get a degree. It's now about what employment, what job can I get at the end of that? And there's obviously been structural changes in the way that HEX and at the moment it's topical about how CPI has impacted the current um, cohort of people that are carrying HEX. Um, and I spoke, so from that, people are sort of going, well, if I'm going to spend X, I want to at least get Y from it. Mm-hmm. So That's interesting you say that. What role does vocational learning play in a student's career development, would you say? Sorry, that's a very broad question there. Look, I think it's really important and um, it's being recognised as such that without the... And, and you hear employees... Um, I, I spoke of the small business person or the, the trades person who's employing an apprentice. You know, I've, I've, I've had a trades person say, you know, I'm going to spend more time with this apprentice than I will my own wife because they're spending 40 to 50 hours a week. They're in a car travelling to and from site. They're on site. And it's often just two or three people. So having having those interpersonal skills are really important. Um, and, the the you know, I've heard people in high-ended roles talk about when selecting from a pool of applicants, it's not necessarily the highest um, achieving student that they're after. They're after the one that's got the interpersonal skills to work within a team. Now, they really only come from being in a vocational space. Um, we, we look to facilitate that here through a Year 10 work placement program. And I've said to the current Year 10 cohort that we deliberately create a space that is uncomfortable for you to sit in where you have to find your own work placement and approach that. Um, and that's that, in my, in my thinking, is quite deliberate. It's um, not a lack of a service provision that we're not doing it for you. We're actually asking you to sit in that uncomfortable place of knocking on doors and being told no, facing the conf- the real thought of being rejected and being asked by people real questions with real outcomes as opposed to I think a lot of the time people in this environment think they're just getting asked theoretical questions with theoretical outcomes. When an employer asks you a question and you don't know, that creates a vulnerability, um, and I think that also creates an opportunity and an impetus to uh, hopefully learn that next time I'd probably want a better answer to that question than I I provided. That's interesting you say that. I know this isn't quite the topic of today's discussion, but Year 10 work placement, how how important, and myself being a Year 11 student, how important is that sort of Year 10 work placement? Look, um, and I know I, you did just touch on it as well. Sorry. So, in in the career development um, journey of a of a young person, the the career expo is often seen to be a light touch. Mm. Um, it it does it's shiny and it's big and it's uh, brassy, but potentially it can end up being light touch. Mm. Work placement is often seen as the most impactful um, experience for a young person because it's not light touch. They're in a workplace for four days. 
it, it can be affirming of what somebody was thinking, but at, at the same time, it might also be, no, this is really not for me, neither of which are negative experiences mm. because it means that somebody can rule out something that they may have had strong thinking about, maybe poorly formed strong thinking, but they thought this is the thing for me and then they go and actually spend time in that environment and go, no, look, it's not what I expected. So work placement, I, I, I think, is really valuable. I think it does take young people out of their comfort zone in a supportive way, um, remembering that employers that um, accept a young person into a workplace are really only doing it for one reason that I can think of, and that's because they want to support a young person in their in their education and in their career development. It's you know it's there's no financial incentive to do so. If anything, there's a dis, there's a disincentive. Um, and potentially from an employee work productivity perspective, you know, there's a lot of downside risks there as well. Mm, that, that's very interesting. If someone is feeling a little bit overwhelmed, sort of not knowing and maybe almost on the verge of disengaging in this whole process altogether, what would you say to them? The idea that you need to pick a winner and I suppose there's also I think the other thing that I'm really conscious of in this space is the comparison of what I'm doing compared to somebody mm. else. So, and inevitably that happens around results within a classroom. It then happens on a wider scale around what ATAR, and then it happens around what occupation you're going to go to and, 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 and those types of things. I think, I think I'm watching a year nine class, for example, first look at roles. The first thing that you hear people vocally talk about is how much it earns. Um, so I think it's, probably wrong to to think that there's not some sort of comparative process going on. I think that's risky and I think it's largely unhelpful that mm. people can get dragged along by a cohort to thinking that university might be um, the only pathway and if that they don't do a university pathway that somehow they've um, underachieved or somehow they're not as good or as important or as successful as others. And I think that's really risky. And I think that can also, on the flip side, lead to a disengagement for others who don't feel they feel that and that they are feeling challenged and threatened by that. And I think that's um, I think that's um, something that we look to um, support people through and try and look towards the narrative that um, working is about ideally choosing something that gives you a sense of fulfilment and purpose. Um, ideally it's not just a completely transactional process about how much I can earn. Hopefully there's some intrinsic um, motivators around feeling that you've done something worthwhile or feeling that you're working towards something or, or, or more going on than I suppose than just a remuneration. And around that people, um, and we all like to do different things, we've all got different capabilities and I suppose the the, the ideal scenario is that you've got people and people of, with all those things are appreciated within the wider community. Now, if a student is particularly interested or passionate in a certain area, is that a wise decision to then follow through with that in university or you shouldn't lock in saying, I like this, I'm going to do this at university? Should they take a leap of faith or something? Look, I... It's a that's a very it's an individual question and mm. there is there is the risk of locking in on limited information to something and feeling that you 
than on um, like on railway tracks. And I, I've certainly I, I sat in a, a workshop a couple of years ago with a, a young lady who had just finished a um, a law degree, and she was now doing speech pathology. Mm. Com- finished the complete degree, so it's a four maybe five year journey, and decided that law wasn't for her now. In conversation, what what bore out was that she was a capable academic student at years 11 and 12, and there's a concept about not wanting to waste the ATAR, so doing something that is of an equivalent to the ATAR I got. Yeah. And you know, I've had students um, who suddenly realise they're on track to get an ATAR that's good enough for med, maybe I should now consider medicine. Now... The, the piece around that is that they yeah they, they are locking into something that maybe is not thought through on a wider basis, that it's, it's a bit one-dimensional. Um, a student locking into something too early is okay, but what bears out is that young people change their minds, older people change their minds, and I think that's a privilege of a... Um, of a society that has choice and I, I always feel that you're in a fortunate place if you've got choice um, and therefore you should take the time to consider those and if you think you've made a bad choice we're again in a fortunate place where you can undo that. Now that's not to say there aren't costs and consequences, um, there are but very little can be um, not cannot be undone in the longer term. I just noticed there what you were talking about with ATAR. ATAR isn't the necessarily the be all end all. Then, no. It, look, it isn't, and you are um, it for again um, universities as businesses. They are able to control supply and demand by how and ATAR is one of the means by which they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously, certain occupations are requiring people of a certain uh, academic ability and able to cope with the the outputs that are required of certain professions um, at very high levels um, on a continuous basis and and academic ATAR performance is seen to be an indicator of that though that in its own doesn't necessarily mean that people will be successful within those roles if they don't have the other skill sets that are required. Mr Bonnicher thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And if anyone does want to reach out to you, what would be the best way to contact you? So my email address um, is probably, um, the well, email is the best means. Mm-hmm. You'll find that that's widely publicised on school websites, but also through our um, internal, if you type in Paul Bonnetcher, you'll, you'll find that my email will pop up for students and for families al- alternatively um, doing it that way. But otherwise, pbo at hutchins.tas.edu.au but alternatively ringing through and asking to speak to me as well is, is, is another means. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hutchins Podcast. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes, you can search Hutchins Podcast on your favourite podcast streaming platform or alternatively go to our website by searching hutchins.taz.edu.au forward slash podcast. We hope to see you again soon.